The Queen's Jewish Link presents the Jewish Living Podcast, the show that examines the many facets of Orthodox Jewish life. Here's your host, Izzo Zwerin. It may be difficult to remember, but 2020 opened with a protest against anti-Semitism, wherein tens of thousands of people walked across the Brooklyn Bridge in support of the Jewish community. If you remember, 2019 ended with a spike in violent anti-Semitic attacks, and this march, along with its subsequent rally, featured prominent speakers not only from the Jewish community, but from other communities as well. And we have the pleasure of having one of those speakers with us today. I am Pastor Gilman Rose, the pastor of Monastery Jews of God's Seventh Day, and the president of the 67th Precinct Clergy Council, known as the God Squad. Pastor Gill spoke about the importance of communities coming together to fight against hate. And now that the national conversation has shifted from anti-Semitism and towards racism, we thought it only fitting that we invite him on to discuss the issues facing the black community, some of the solutions he's calling for, and how the Jewish community can help. All right, so Pastor Gill, is that okay if I call you Pastor Gill? That's perfectly fine. Terrific. Thank you so much for joining me today. This is a very interesting time, and um, I'm assuming you're extremely busy with a lot of the work that you're doing, um, and I certainly appreciate you taking the time out to join us today. I saw your speech at the uh, No Fear, No Hate rally against anti-Semitism uh, in January. I, I wasn't able mm-hmm. to go. I have two little children at home. Uh, were not was not able to make it, but I did watch it live, and that is kind of the impetus for what got me to invite you on to the show today. Um, mm-hmm. As at the time there was a big discussion about anti-Semitism in the country, or especially in in New York City, um, mm-hmm. and you showed your support for us. And now I'd like to return the favor, as we know that there's a big uh, racism conversation in the country now, um, and this is the only medium that I know how to do that. So. My first question for you is, before we get into all of that conversation, is a little bit about your background. Mm-hmm. How did you get into the clergy to begin with? And if you can tell me a little bit about your congregation. Sure. So I got in, so I'm a third generation of preachers. Um, my father was a preacher, my grandfather was a preacher, and I tried to run away from it. But I, anyway, so I moved in, in New York, uh, to New York in 1999 uh, to come to uh, Bible and Theological School here in New York. And I stayed, then I went back home. And then I started to pastor here at the church as the youth leader. Then I became the youth pastor. And then I became the senior pastor of the congregation. So our congregation, we're in a former Jewish synagogue. This is a former uh, synagogue uh, Jewish enclave here in East Flatbush. Uh, this, uh, we are celebrating 50 years uh, this year being here at this particular location. But this synagogue um, um, congregation, Ibrahim, have been around since 1929. Oh. Uh, so there's a lot of history here in, in this uh, church and in this work that we have here. So that's how, I, that's how I came into the ministry. And this is where I'm serving now. You had another question, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I have plenty of questions. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, I mean, about this one. Yeah. Uh, if you ask, if you want to tell me a little bit about your congregation. Um, yeah, so, so our congregation right now is, of course, at home. Um, right. But we have... Four, we have four congregations, one here in Brooklyn, New York, New Jersey, St. Thomas, actually five and one in, in South Africa. But our local congregation here in Brooklyn um, is made up primarily of Caribbean Americans, Afro-Caribbean, second generation and third generation Americans. 
Um, so it is primarily, of course, scattered throughout the Eastern Caribbean. And um, that is definitely where um, our membership comes from in here. We have a mix of uh, young, a lot of young people, uh, a lot of millennials, and also a good size of those who are seasoned as well. Seasoned veterans, I oh. like to call them. <laughs> oh, I say, I'm, I'm a late, a late millennial, an older millennial, so I definitely could relate to that that uh, that age group. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm I'm kind of like right on the border. Uh, my wife does not right. think that we're millennials, but I think I think we are. Um, so the interesting thing that I want to bring up, first of all, is your relationship with the Jewish community. So obviously you mm -hmm. spoke at the No Fear No Hate rally, but what is your connection to the Jewish community? How did you become invited to speak there? How did we know to contact you? <laughs> Uh, that, 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 that has been in the work since 2008, my friend. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah. When you just called me, I was actually speaking to my mentor, Rabbi Bob Kaplan. Okay. And, uh, Rabbi Bob Kaplan, um, who works for JCRC, mm -hmm. um, started off, um, a fellows program and the fellows program in 2008 was looking for young diverse leaders who wanted to learn how government works, wanted to know how to do interfaith work and just to be voices of our communities to cross-pollinate and just show the beautiful mosaic of the different uh, traditions that we have in Brooklyn. And so I was one of the first cohorts um, from uh, the We Are All Brooklyn Fellowship Program that brought together diverse leaders in our community to tackle very specific and particular uh, issues in our community. So um, from there, I started to talk about hate crimes, from 2008, 2009, 2010, um, I have always been the voice because it's seeped in my biblical tradition um, that we believe that, of course, that we are spiritual Jews and, and our of, of affinity to the Jewish land and the Holy Scripture and the Bible and Yeshua is Jewish. And so therefore we pull a lot from our teachings and our traditions uh, with the Jewish community. So for me, it was a very easy transition and very, very simple. If you, if you knew my father, may he rest in peace. He used to always say, we got to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We got to pray for the peace of Jerusalem over and over again. Uh, you know, Psalms commanded it. So we were praying for the peace of Jerusalem. Um, you know, his, the church was painted in blue and white. You know, he had the Star of David. Um, he just had all the scriptures. And so it, it's just a perfect fit for my background and my, my theology and what we do. That's, that's fantastic. So let's, let's get right into the reason that we're having you on to discuss the situation right now. Um, and that is because you have shown such support of the Jewish community in, in recent, well, not even recent, we're talking about since 2008, where we're 12 years in. So now we are seeing all sorts of conversations pop up throughout the country, even internationally, I'm seeing it. So we want to talk about the areas that can bring our communities closer together. And unfortunately, I, I, I've seen it a lot in my communities where there's a lot of, a lot of um, let's say, non-unity about these things. Um, <laughs> I actually personally went to a, a, a Black Lives Matter rally in my neighborhood. Okay. Every mm -hmm. uh, rabbi from the community was also there. So there is major mm. support, at least in my community, but I, I've seen the discussions online. So mm -hmm. let's, let's start off with some basics. There's a lot of similarities between anti-Semitism and racism against the black communities. And there's a lot of differences. So I want to start off with 
let's talk about the, the, the let's talk about the similarities. Where are there? Where, where are we similar? Where are we similar? Where, where the, the similarities between the two forms of hate? Um, that's a, that's actually a great question. No one has ever asked me that question before. Good, because we're going to go into the differences too. Yeah, and I, and I've had a lot of interviews. Um, just off the top of my head, you want to know the, the the similarities. I think the similarities is that one group believe that the other group is inferior to one another. So the similarity is that we are both on the losing, that we are both on the other end of being the one that is inferior to the other. Uh, we are marginalized because of something that we have no control over, which is our, which is our color of our skin. Um, we are marginalized because of where you're from, but also we are marginalized also because of our economic status too as well. So we are like a misfit in our community. Don't forget though that African-Americans were brought to America for one reason and one reason alone, not to right. thrive, but for labor. Right. And so therefore, the American society had to then try to figure out how do we continue to live um, and, and account for these individuals who actually um, came here uh, just to work um, and be slaves. So the similar, that's, my, that's what I can say just on the top of my head without thinking further, how it is similar. Okay, so I'm gonna tell you what I think where the differences are. I think you're exactly right. And obviously, Jews weren't necessarily brought here against their will. Uh, we came here because of something that was going on against our will, for the most part. There were obviously, you know, Jewish communities that were here pre-World War II, um, even dating back to, to, the, uh, to the Revolutionary War. But it wasn't really a big explosion of Jewish population here until after World War II. Um, that's when we all came here, not because we wanted to, but because it was a, a way to escape. Um, but where I think the differences might be, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that you're right. I think the African-American communities are marginalized. They're, they're, there's, a, there's a feeling of inferiority. I think the problem that people who don't like Jewish people have is that they think that we're in control of a lot more than what we're in control of. They, they look at it as <laughs> that we are the ones who have this vast global cabal that we can control everything from the money to the media to the weather. Um, so it, it, it's a, I think in terms of the outcome, I think you have the same, but I think where the hate comes from, it might mm -hmm. be a little different. I'm not sure if you uh, want to, you ever thought yeah, about that? I, no, yeah, I, I agree with that, definitely. Um, I, I think that um, most people think that Jewish people have money. All Jewish people have money. <laughs> and I think that for us, uh, pe most people think that all blacks are criminal, that's right. and, which is not true as well. I, I, when I said that's right, I didn't say that all blacks are criminals. I, I didn't say that people... That is right. The, the perception is right. The perception, the perception, yeah. Um, we have similar people who hate white supremacists don't like either one of us. Right. And, so and we, we saw that too. We see that, we see that all too often. So we spoke about the differences and the similarities. And we also spoke a little bit about the historical aspects of it, how we got to where we are and where we, and we'll get to where we are today in, in a minute. I also want to bring up some of the historical tension between the two communities. Uh, right. Notably, we've had the Crown Heights riots uh, in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. There's all sorts of tension when you bring up people like uh, Louis Farrakhan and to a much lesser extent, although still to an extent, uh, Al Sharpton. And there's no shortage of problems coming from our community as well. Where do you think that that kind of stems from and how we can go about combating them? 
Well, because listen, if someone is fighting um, for their survival and for their life, sometimes they pivot towards the community 100%. And um, I think that if you never had uh, conversations before, if you never had friendship before, when there is a time of battle, and if you're in a time of war, there is not a tough opportunity to make friendship then. Uh, that's, that's why we spend most of our time now working with diverse leaders on hate crime issues now, because if God forbid something happens, uh, we know the people that we have been working with. Right. Um, they know one another. And therefore, I don't think those days of the Crown Heights, Crown Heights riots will, will be able to, to, to get foothold because so many community leaders on both sides have been working very, very hard for the past 20 years. Uh, to make sure that we're on the same sheet of music moving forward. And that's kind of why we're having this conversation. It's a lot right. easier to, 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 to build up these relationships by talking as opposed to just hanging out in your own bubble and assuming that hopefully, hopefully that, that, that everything's okay. You have to kind of be proactive. Right. It won't work in your own silo at all. Exactly. So let's talk about the actual issues that are going on today. Let's start with the concept of systemic racism, because we only have a, a, a limited amount of time. Let's get to the, the main, the, the big issue. So how do you view uh, systemic racism and where are those systems today? Yeah, oh. those, those, those systems um, are, are really everywhere. Okay. And that's why it's a system. Um, it's not, when we're talking about police, uh, brutality or, or accountability in the police department. We're not talking about police as individuals. Um, we have family members or police officers. We're talking about sy sy systemically uh, the cover-ups. Uh, we're talking about the fact that, you know, there is no, it's just innate in uh, Jews who are white who would automatically believe that if a police officer who is white said to you that he fear for his life, uh, there was no question in mind that he, 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 he didn't fear for his life. And so that is systematic. That is, that is the, 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 the issues that we are facing. It is seeped in society from banking, redlining, uh, from high mortgage, uh, from being able to um, not get a job with a degree. Um, it's very difficult for a black man with a four-year degree uh, to get a job over a white male without a four-year degree. It is in corporate America. It is in the boardrooms. So we are still celebrating the first, the first, the first African American, the first African American to do this. And we have been in this country for 450 years, thereabout. So what we do know is that these things are systematic. It, it's it's in every arena of life, every area. Um, and to break those down is going to take. I don't know what it's going to take, but I want to tell you that racism. Um, segregation, um, making uh, black people the uh, on the lowest totem pole um, in the American society is just a systemic issue that's across the board, just in just about in in every area of life that I can think of. I, I hear you. So here, here's here's the big the big question: It's what mm -hmm. can we do about it? So from a, from a basic perspective, racism is obviously a terrible thing. But unfortunately, it's not illegal. We can't make it a crime to be <laughs> a racist. You can make it a crime to commit racist acts. 
but mm-hmm. to legislate something that is going on in someone's heart, uh, just not, you can't, we, I, I don't know of a way to do that, especially if the person doesn't do anything that basically hurts somebody else. And you mentioned things like harder for people to get a job, harder yeah. in, every, in all areas. Uh, we are, we're still celebrating the first of a lot of things. So what can we do on a short-term and long-term basis to combat those things? Um, number one, we got to keep the pressure up. I see a lot of uh, progressive whites, uh, Jewish community, all different communities are out there speaking on our behalf. So please continue to speak on our behalf. In the past, we just looked like a bunch of black people who were screaming, um, who um, you know were criminals, and we were just trying to march because the person who got killed was black. So the fact that we have voices uh, besides our own right now is so important. And that's why this movement today feels so different than every other time. Because what we did is that we were home, we were tired after seeing George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Bertram Jean, just seeing uh, Sean Bell, just seen there's a whole Trevon Martin, Tamar Rice. Do you want to go back to Amadou uh, Diallo? I don't even want to go back that far. I probably was a little boy at that point in time. Me too. You're tired. I saw a shirt today that says, I am tired. And in the tired moment, um, you know, the, the white brothers and sisters, I think Dr. King used to call them the progressive whites, uh, came out. Those uh, who we call gentrifiers came out in droves and numbers. And they started to march on our behalf. And so it gives us a little wing on the... Um, a little wind under our wings. So number one, uh, we need people to continue to talk about our issues in your circles with your friends, um, any which way that you can. Thank you for that. That's number one, short term. Number two, long term. I think now the people in Congress and the people who, who hold the elected power have to show that Black lives do matter by what they do. Uh, my father, I think my parents would always tell me um, that to be able to see what a man loves or what he spends his time with, if you look at his wallet, you can tell. If I look at your bank account and I see how you spend your money, I know exactly where your interest lies. Whether it's a, you're a car enthusiast or you like to build kites or you like to travel, if I look at your account, I can tell. We have to look at the account of America. What are they spending their money on? We're talking about taking $1 billion from the NYPD and across the country to put in social services. That in the long term is important for us. So we have to figure out, uh, and all elected officials have to do right by the people, have to do right by blacks um, to put us in a place. We want equity. Uh, we don't want um, a handout. We want a hand up. Um, you can't tell me to put on my bootstrap if I don't have a boots and if I don't have a lace. Um, so I'm hoping that the long term is that those that are in Congress at the highest level of our government, pass laws that are just and moral, but also check their racism, check their heart at the doors of the walls of Congress when they get inside. But we need some relief. We need some financial relief. Uh, we need some uh, loan relief. People right now, parents are crying because their children get into a prestigious school. They don't have the money uh, to pay for it. So we need equity across the board. We need some free school. There are so many things that we can do, so many things that we need. I think that now is the appropriate time. So long-term, our elected representatives have to come because a lot of these things about laws that's legislated and then people in the boardroom, they have to do what's right, business individuals. Um, you know, stop treating Blacks like we 
our life doesn't matter. So you said so much there. I have to touch on a, on a bunch of them. The first thing that you mentioned about the voices, about having people from outside of the black community <clears throat> uh, speaking on your behalf. So I, I have heard a lot of people saying that it's now time for white people to stop talking and start listening. I remember that being the exact opposite of what <laughs> we were asking for back in January. Like we wanted mm -hmm. more voices. We wanted people to fight for us. And that's why I was so happy. And you weren't the only African-American speaking at that rally. You weren't, mm -hmm. there, were, there were four of you. There were, you weren't even the only non-Jewish people to speak at that rally. There were people from the Catholic church, uh, cardinal, uh, cardinals, uh, I forget who exactly. I think, yeah, one of the, 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 the cardinal from, from New York was, was, uh, spoke at it. A lot of people uh, that weren't Jewish and weren't necessarily elected officials were all speaking at these things. And that's what I like. I like seeing that. But I have a problem when somebody tells me that I have to stop talking now and just listen. I want to be able to listen, but I also want to be able to talk. That's why I think they have it. So I, I was wondering. Who, who telling you not to talk? Tell them that Pastor Gil said that you need to talk. All right. So I'm very, I'm very happy that you agree with that, that, that idea. Yeah, um, you, you need to be talking. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't. Yeah, you should be talking. I don't Good. see how you'd not talk. Absolutely. The other thing that you said is about you. You meant you didn't really say it. You, you you touched on it about how much power government has. I'm all with you um, when it comes to either reallocating some funds away from the police and moving it towards social services. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with reducing a little bit more of what government has a power to do. That's just me. But one thing that I hear coming out of my community, and it's one thing that we were fighting for back in January, was an increase in police presence in our communities. So when we hear things like defund the police, or even if we say, remove some precincts people in my community are thinking yeah that doesn't work out for us historically when when we're kind of left to our own devices we're kind of that's when things that's when bad things happen here so how do we go from a time period only a few months ago when we were asking for more police presence in our communities to now all of a sudden fighting on the side of now we kind of have to remove some funding from the police so that maybe there'll be a less of a police presence. Yeah, because um, I, I because I don't think that that request was the the right direction to take. Okay. Um, I'm never someone for over policing. Um, you can't police your way out of anything. You can't police your way out of immorality. You can't police your way out of hatred. So putting more police in 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 the Jewish communities, uh, to me, when I saw the the type of money that was being spent, um, I think that when you start to work on education. When you start to deal with people who are disenfranchised and deal with their needs, I think that there will be less need for someone with a gun and a badge uh, to roam the streets. Now, when you talk about, you know, taking police officers and you're saying less police, we're saying that police doesn't need to be calling someone who fell asleep in the car. Um, they're drunk. They get out the car and they say, okay, I'm trying to get home. I don't think a police officer needs to be engaged and involved in arresting that person. If you look at the opioid crisis, the opioid crisis is dealt as a health challenge in the black community. Crack cocaine and 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 those uh, and and the likes would and marijuana, well, crack cocaine was dealt with as a criminal situation, and more police was put on the, the police force to deal with that. We setting up our own systems for failure, and just to have more police to criminalize or to make sure that I'm criminalized by putting more laws to criminalize me. What you find is that you will, you are going to need more police. We don't need to do that. 
Uh, you need police. I'm not saying that you would need police. Of course you need police. Um, the Bible says that the law is for the lawless. Um, but we can do we can do it differently. Um, we can definitely do more social services, safety net for people. People need housing, uh, taking homeless people off the street. People need education. Um, these are the things you don't have to. We, we just have a, a, the wrong idea about police. And when you, when, when, if the Jewish community is asking for police, you want police to protect you or protect you from other people coming in. For us, they're coming in to police us. For you, policing is that, oh, we, we're glad that you're here. For us, it's like, okay, now that you're here, are you going to harass us? And so I think that the conversation needs to, to be in the rightful place. Education is key. Yes, you need police, but you don't have to over-police, over-extend ourselves using law enforcement. So that's very fun, not funny, but ironic because historically, police in other countries and other, in other areas and other times have not been historically kind to the Jewish people. This is only a, a recent uh, happenstance. Historically, if you go back to Europe, even, even countries now in Europe, the police aren't that great to the Jewish people. So I definitely hear what you're saying that just because right now they're, they're, they seem to be who we rely on for protection doesn't mean that it has always been that way or it will always be that way. So I, I, I do want to touch on one thing that you, you mentioned, which is where police should be involved and where they shouldn't be involved. I 100% agree with you about when you're dealing with the opioid epidemic, when you're dealing with substance abuse, that police aren't trained necessarily for that. I work in the healthcare industry. I, I, I see every day, um, I don't actually deal one-on-one with patients, but I definitely deal with uh, the people who do. And I see every day about how we can make a positive impact without police. The question is, so if you see a situation where somebody is drunk in a drive-thru, who are we calling in that situation? Yeah, so you call an Uber. Um, you call in... Uh, the, the person's family. Um, I don't think that as citizens, um, you can't treat as that. So a lot of people have been drunk. They haven't been shot and killed. A lot of people have gone to parties and they have responsible drivers. Or you let the person sleep where they are until they get up in the morning, you know, in their car. They get up and they say, oh my goodness, I was drunk last night. I can't believe that I'm still here. Uh, but you don't have to call police for everything. Uh, you can call 911, the ambulance service. Um, or, or then if you're starting to redirect funding, we'll figure out who's going to be handling what. Other people will handle more problems. We're not saying that the problem is just going to stay unanswered. It's just that police would not be needing to be involved in everything that criminalizes individuals, especially the documentary, for, for, for no apparent reason. It's not a criminal act to be drunk. It's not. You can be drunk. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to be arrested if you're drunk. And you're not driving. So I agree with you. I think I think that there's there's too much that we put on the police officers. And I like I like the idea of of calling the man an Uber instead of you know calling the police to get him out. I, I absolutely agree with you. Uh, and I'm I'm not here to say that in that particular case in Georgia, once it escalated to a point where the, the individual took the weapon, I can't sit here and say that the individual was in the right in the wrong. But I couldn't say I can say that if the police were never called and there was a different avenue for us to go down, then it never would have gotten to that point. That's why I've always been against things like quotas for police officers. Um, mm. shouldn't, if, we're, if we're just telling the police officers, listen, you have to go out and write X number of tickets, that's automatically going to put them 
in a situation where they didn't necessarily have to be there. If they're driving down the highway and they see a guy speeding, all right. But if they're specifically looking only for speeding just because they're trying to meet their quotas, I think you're doing policing wrong. If your police department has to fund itself, then you're doing policing wrong. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. There has to be different avenues for that. Um, I want to bring up one specific issue that uh, a lot of people in the Jewish community are talking about where there might be a, a reason to not back the Black Lives Matter movement, and that is their strong stance on Israel. Um, mm-hmm. For a while, they've, been, they've, they've tried to compare the, the, the plight of the, of the black man in America with the plight of the Palestinian man in Israel, and people don't like that. I have always argued that you can be pro-Black Lives Matter the concept without being pro-Black Lives Matter, the institution. Uh, but I was wondering if there was something that you had a way of, of explaining that. Sure. Um, two, two things. Um, when I was in Israel um, last year, I think it was, a reporter asked me the same question too as well. Okay. And I said to them, listen, I live in America and, and I don't like everything that America stands for, but I still live in America. Um, I, we go to Israel, we support Israel, but that don't mean that I, I agree with everything that the Israeli government does. As a matter of fact, I don't even agree with everything that, I'm, that I do. And so most people don't even know the platform of Black Lives Matter. And most Black people use the phrase Black Lives Matter as a phrase, not as a movement. Exactly. And I don't think that people realize that when they have Black Lives Matter, it's not saying that, that everyone is chanting the movement name. They're saying that Black Lives Matters. That's it. Um, if I talk to my son right now and he repeat the chant, he have no idea what platform he's not beholden that is. A, if I ask my son right now, Joshua, do you know that Black Lives Matter is an organization? Sort of. Okay, he <laughs> yeah. said sort of. Sort of. But yeah. but so so it doesn't matter to me that that if that Black Lives Matter has a platform. That's against Israel. We have to work those things out. But now you're seeing people pull up, pull up signs that saying "kids' lives matter," "all life matters," "blue life matters." So if that's they're, they're not an organization, they're just saying the phrase. Right. So I think that we have to back off a little bit in trying to be so technical about supporting people because of the way that we're going to look in terms of optics. Everyone should be supporting, not the Black Lives Matter movement itself but everyone should support the fact that my life my black life my son's black life should matter to you and should matter to everyone just as their life matters as well it's exactly right it's the same thing with any other political statement if you vote for a particular candidate that's not doesn't mean necessarily you stand for everything that exactly this candidate stands for it means that you're standing for a lot of it and if there's some things that you might disagree with, you might disagree with them. But you have That's to, right. you have Keep to it moving. And I think you're right. The main thing that the Black Lives Matter movement, not necessarily the organization, is going for is that Black right. Lives Matter. And that's the part yeah. that you have to be supportive of. Exactly. So I'm going to let you have the last word. Is there anything that, listen, you have the ear right now <laughs> of, of a section of the Jewish community that listens to this podcast. Is there anything okay. that you would, and by the way, we're also going to play your full speech at the end. Uh, so for all oh, yeah? of you who are listening, we're going to take, <laughs> take pa- uh, Pastor Gill's speech. We are better together. That's right. So if, if there's anything you'd like 
to part to to leave as your parting word to the Jewish community, uh, please. Sure. Sure. Historically, the Jewish community have always lived alongside the black community, more than any other community in the world. I don't care where you look at it, wherever you go. Uh, historically speaking, historically speaking, leaders in the Jewish community understood the importance of understanding minorities uh, because people who have been oppressed understand what it means to be oppressed. And you never want to become the, the you never want the oppressor to become the oppressor to oppress the oppressor. Right. We, we want to be able to be able to live together in harmony and peace. And I think that the Jewish community needs the black community as much as the black community needs the Jewish community. And the quicker that we recognize that is the quicker I think that we can grow together. Yes, there have been tensions in Crown Heights. Yes, there have been tension in, in, in New York, particularly. Um, I'm talking about that brand of, of hate crime. Uh, because guess what? We're living among each other. People commit crime where they live. And so it's not just a misunderstanding or there's an issue between the blacks and the Jews. No, because we live together. People who live together, you know, they argue, they fight, they do what they have to do. So I just want to say to everyone that in this moment, in this time, we need the Jewish voice. Uh, the Jewish voice is saying, listen, we know and we understand exactly when a people is oppressed and people hate individuals, it can lead to death, not just one by one by one, but millions, as we see what happened um, in the Jewish Holocaust. Sometimes if you don't stand up for truth, if you don't stand up for justice, if you don't open your mouth, and if you keep it quiet, therefore I dare say to you, you know, for by the grace of God, we're all going to go. And so I'm so happy that some people stood up for the Jewish community back then, and I'm hoping that the, the Jewish community would remember that if it wasn't for people who were standing up for us, it could have been more than these millions of Jews who have died. Um, and so I think now is the time to move forward in faith, in unity, and uh, hopefully we'll be better together moving forward. So thank you for your time and thank you for having me on. Pastor Gill, thank you so much for your time and uh, hopefully we'll put an end to this as soon as we can and maybe we'll have you back on in a, in a couple of months to, to, to discuss how successful we were. No problem. Thank you again so much. Thank you very much. My thanks to Pastor Gil Monroe for joining us this week. I'd like to reiterate something that I mentioned just a few weeks ago. A Jew's fight against anti-Semitism can only be won with the help of non-Jewish communities. In fact, there has never been a civil rights issue in the history of this country that has been won without the help of those who weren't affected. If we want help from the outside communities when it comes to battling anti-Semitism, we'd better be there when other communities ask us for their help. And I'm glad that Pastor Gill isn't one of the people who have been demonizing the non-minority population. On the contrary, he welcomes all help, no matter who's giving it. I think that regardless of what side of the aisle you may fall, we can all agree that hate is bad, regardless of which community is being hated. Right now, the conversation is about the black community. Let's be there for them now, so that they will be there for us later. As always, Kultov. The Jewish Living Podcast is produced by Sroli Pikus. Our theme song is The Band by A.B. Rottenberg from Journeys 4. You can email the show at jewishlivingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Jewish underscore living. The Jewish Living Podcast is recorded in conjunction with the Queen's Jewish Link.
Ladies and gentlemen, join me in welcoming Pastor Gil Monroe. Thank you so much, Jonathan. We are better together. Are we better together? Jews and blacks and Caribbean and whites, we are better together. You know, the prophet Amos said many years ago in scripture, how can two walk together if they don't agree? Well, I want to tell you that today we did agree. We walk over the Brooklyn Bridge. Every step of the way, we walk for those who was attacked. We walk for those who lost their lives. We walk for those who lost their lives to gun violence. We walk against hate. We walk against the criminal elements of our society who hate the way that we live. We agree that hate will not win. We agree that as we walk each step, we get together, we get closer and closer as a community. Every step that we walk, we walk for each other. We are bound by our history. We are bound by our present and we are bound by our future. We are better together. Community is God's answer for fair. Community is God's answer for fair. That is why we in Brooklyn, in Crown Heights, with the Brooklyn Board President has called and elected leaders and faith leaders has called for 100 dinners across the city so that we can talk about the differences in our culture, who we are and why we are and what we do and why we are different. We are better together. In the next two weeks, I'll be traveling to Israel And this will be our, our fifth trip in 2008, JCRC and Michael Miller. We did our first trip three years ago. We brought 10 pastors from Brooklyn to, to, uh, to Israel. And then we took 200 Brooklynites to Israel last year. This year, we will take 100 Brooklynites to Israel again in this year. And by God's grace, we will reach our 500 individuals going to Israel at the end of this year. We are better together. God bless you.